think the Proverbs point is really good because I think a lot of people apply that to business. But there's another level. Oh, yeah. There's another level. Then, like, just having a... I think the farthest we ever take it when it comes to business with God, it's, like, taking a risk and we have faith and it's, like, God blessing our business, but there's not, like, a level past that and it's, like, applying the Lord's wisdom, but not really much more than that because I feel like there's a deeper level on it because ultimately if you're called to business and you're in ministry and your ministry is business, you're called to impact the world through business. Absolutely. So if you say I'm called to business, I'm called to be an entrepreneur, but you're not impacting your local community or your neighborhoods on a financial level and a spiritual level, then, you know, I, I think that sometimes it's almost a cop out of ministry yeah. or maybe well, they just don't have full understanding. Like they are good at business. They do have talent in it, but they haven't really tapped into the partnership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think the biggest the biggest need that people have is is the need or the sense of purpose. They want to know why they're here. And I think life is a discovery. Uh, it begins when we discover why we're here. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, there's a void uh, for purpose. And I think if success ends with success, then the success doesn't satisfy. Mm -hmm. But if there's purpose beyond, you know, the wind, then then that, that that becomes a motivation to people. But one of the things I wanted to start off uh, this by saying that any person begins with, and this might sound egocentric, but begins with believing in themselves, mm -hmm. and not in a wrong way, but in the right way, when you begin to value life, when you begin to value time, you know, what's the most expensive thing in this world? It's not a thing, it's time. And, you know, Steve Jobs, one of the most successful people, you know, in our generation, you know, and, and creative, not just successful in terms of like, real estate, but really mm -hmm. being creative, kind of like Elon Musk, right? Like really transforming our world and being committed to that process, going through bankruptcies, you know, being, being fired by his own company that he created, but just being committed and faithful to that process. He said, Hey, I can pay for anyone to do anything for me. Mm -hmm. right? I can pay for someone to drive me. I can pay for someone to cook for me. I can pay, you know, for someone to uh, read this book for me. I have enough money to be able to pay for almost anything. But he said, I cannot pay anyone to lay in this sick bed mm -hmm. instead of me. So he was coming to the understanding that the most valuable thing in life is time. Mm -hmm. And so I think it begins with believing in yourself. And let me tell you, God believes in you. It amazes me because, look, Jesus takes 12 people, invests into them, teaches them, allows them to be next to him, to learn from him, to learn from his life. Then he says, hey, I'm going to die, but, I, but don't worry. On the third day, I will rise. So all that happens exactly as he says it. Okay. And during that time, scripture says all of them abandoned him all of them left him 
So you're looking at 12 guys who, after all the signs, after all the miracles, after all the things they've saw, who literally just failed their leader. Mm -hmm. So now Jesus comes back to the scene in the resurrected body. You know, he appeared to them for the period of, I think, 40 days and to as many as 500 after resurrection. So there's over 500, you know, witnesses of his resurrection. And you know what Jesus tells them? He doesn't give them a whipping. He doesn't give them, you know, this long speech. He gives them the greatest call of their life. And look what it says. He appeared to them, to the 11. This is in Mark 16, verse 14. As they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Um, and then he talks about, you know, the power and the authority that's going to follow every believer. And I thought about the most valuable thing to Jesus is souls, is people. And he's taking these 12 guys that totally failed him and gives them the greatest assignment. And I realized like God's not afraid of our failure. Mm -hmm. God's not afraid of us coming short. And so, so, so God believes in us to that level to entrust us with the greatest assignment in history. And so he sends them, he empowers them, he encourages them. So I think you have to begin to believe in yourself. You have to begin to believe that you're born to be an answer to something. Mm -hmm. That you're not, you don't just exist. And, and I would say it like this. God is the alpha and omega. He's outside of time. We are placed in time, but God doesn't exist in time. He's outside of time. That's why he's called both beginning and end at the same time. And he's in different, he's in a different dimension. He's in a different reality. But scripture says that before we ever lived a day, every day was already mm -hmm. recorded in his book. So that means, you know, David writes this, that while I was, you saw me in my mother's womb, you knitted me together. And every day of my life was recorded in your book mm -hmm. before a single day had passed. So think about that for a moment. And every person listening, think about the fact that God saw your life before your life ever began. And I would say it like this, God creates the beginning from the end. Because when you have the end in mind, then you build with purpose. If you were a, 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 like a craftsman, right? Like making something out of wood, you don't just grab a hammer and begin to beat a piece of wood with a chisel. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have an end in mind as you begin. So, so there's an image, there's a visual there's something that you have in mind before you ever even start building. Mm -hmm. So same thing here. God had an end in mind before he ever began. Mm -hmm. So he saw our life and our life is for a specific purpose, especially, you know, a life of a believer, someone who believes in the Lord and believes in eternity. Um, and I think now it's understanding, wait, I'm not just here just because like God saw me, uh, God purposed my life and because... The reason why I'm even born is because 
God had a purpose. Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm even born is because God wants me to be an answer to a problem yeah. in my generation. And life is a discovery. Life begins when you discover the problem you're here to solve, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that's very important. One of the most successful women in our time, uh, they asked her to define, and if I would, I mean, I'll say it because it doesn't matter, but Oprah Winfrey, they asked her to define some of the keys of her success. And she said, number one, believe in yourself. And I, it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I think that's, that's huge um, when it comes to, you know, developing and cultivating because you don't like stumble stumble into your destiny or you know get lucky you cultivate it so there has to be motivation there there has to be you know um, you have to be dedicated and it comes from a sense of value mm -hmm. <clears throat> in terms of knowing that knowing that god has intended purpose is to invest into us and to raise us up, to be influential, to reach people, to answer a problem, like what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, the question comes, what do we do, right? We're in business, we're an employee, um, we're a mother, or we're just a child or a son. Like, what do we do knowing that? And what are we, what are we going to do with kingdom principles like how are we going to apply them to our life like for you what does that look like mm -hmm. and what would you tell to, to somebody who is just hearing this for the first time like what should they do yeah i mean that's a good question and i think there's many things that could be said but something simple and it can that can be apl applicable to anybody is i think i would begin to do from where I'm at, because a lot of people wish to be somewhere so that they can do something. And one of the things I would begin to do is do what you're doing with a spirit of excellence. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we neglect the season we're in. Uh, we don't value the season we're in because it's not where we want to mm -hmm. be. But we don't understand that the season we're in will become a launching pad to the season we're going to. That's why in scripture it says, if you are faithful in little, more will be given. Mm -hmm. so, so the door into increase in our life, the door into influence, impact, or more is faithfulness, not in what we don't have, but in what we have. So I would say faithfulness um, you know, and that means like, if you're working for somebody, can you be trusted? Yeah. You know, are you a man of your word? Do you come on time? It's simple things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share this story. I think my brother won't mind, but my little brother, younger brother, he came to work for a company I used to own mm -hmm. and he wanted to have a different position in that company. But they hired him on to do, you know, like pick up garbage and, you know, just do little things, yeah. small responsibilities that are obviously come with like minimum pay. So he was upset about that because he felt entitled to having a better position because he was my brother. Yeah. So he called me and he asked me 
to talk to the owner, to mm-hmm. the new owner of the company. And I said, I will not do that. And he said, why not? I said, because it won't help you. Yeah. I said, but, but I, I, I want to give you advice that can help you. And he said, what is it? I said, you have to change the way you do what you do. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you have to come in, in there every day and think as though you're an owner. You have to become yeah. the owner of that company. And he said, what do you mean? But I'm not the owner. I said, yeah, but if you were an owner and you're walking to the office and you see trash laying on the parking lot, you yeah. would pick it up. If you were the owner and phones are ringing and no one's picking them up, you would pick it up, even if it's not in your job description. And you would say, hello, you have reached, you know, this company. Uh, could you please hold just for a moment? Or is there anything else I can do to help you? Absolutely. You know, all that stuff. So I said, if you begin to care for this company as though it's your own, I'm like, there's no way your boss will overlook that. And, you know, and in this case, within a few weeks, he was promoted. And then within a month or two, he was the highest paying employee in that company. Uh-huh. So, so again, it's a principle, right? A lot of times we feel like we're victims to our circumstances or how much we have in our account or the job we work at. But I would say, let's begin to be faithful from where we are. Uh, let's have an ownership mentality. And then let's, let's do it with a spirit of excellence. We have to understand that we, we can say the same things, but they will be heard differently. What do you mean by that? Uh, let's just say I say a phrase or some kind of information or a principle. Mm-hmm. No one cares. It doesn't create an impact. Mm-hmm. But let's just say Bill Gates says a phrase, the same phrase. It will carry a much larger impact not because he said it differently, but because there is, there is, uh, there is a there's success behind his words. He has a proven track yeah. record. So, yeah. so a spirit of excellence gives weight to our words. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, let's just say football players, right? Yeah. They might say stupid things. We've seen that quite a bit mm-hmm. in the sports industry, <laughs> but whatever they say echoes throughout the nation. Why? Why are people listening to them? Because they do something in an excellent way. Yes. They play football in an excellent way and everybody wants to listen to them. So I think excellence always translates into impact and influence. So I would, I would begin and God does things excellently. Like look at the way he created the world. Excellent. The way everything works in harmony, how complex everything is and how excellent it was Mm -hmm. created that thousands of years later, we still were still blooming and blossoming and trees and everything renews by itself. So I think God does things with the spirit of excellence and we should also manifest the Lord that way. Mm -hmm. And I think with that, like a lot of people will say, well, I have been running it like I own it and they haven't noticed me and they think that that's a uh, reason for them to stop showing excellence or to stop caring and what they don't understand is that 
just because you're excellent, it doesn't mean that the person you're working for will notice it. It could be the person across the street who noticed it and says, and sees an opportunity when you leave and, or comes to you and says, Hey, I want to offer you a job and I'll pay you this and I'll pay you this because I saw that from you from just working across the street. You know, I had an instance for me, had been working at an office for a year and a half and I had left um, after working there um, just due to unforeseen circumstances, leaving it and three months later, having get, having gotten, uh, you know, eight plus offers all higher than the original. And I hadn't ever applied to these companies, but they all reached out to me saying that is because of what we heard or what was said about you or what we saw when we were around you. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. Because you know, if you, if you invest into yourself, mm -hmm. um, then you will develop a greater value. Mm -hmm. Not everyone will recognize that, but there's plenty of people that will. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, a lot of times, um, we become passive to the way we're treated, but let's just say in your case, you kept becoming more excellent in what you do. Yeah. So then, so then, you know, the terms or whatever, you know, maybe somebody wasn't valuing the gift that you've developed. Well, somebody's willing to pay higher for that. And that's exactly what happened in your case. So I, I always like to say this to, to people is you can be anybody you want to be. Mm -hmm. you, you can do, you can do as much as you want to do. The only limit in your life is you, your yeah. boss is not your limit. You know, which family you were born in is not your limit, which skin color you have is not your limit. Mm -hmm. The only limit you experience in life is, is you. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I think if you, which I think is a, is a, is a second thought to the thought of believing in yourself. Yeah. Cause if you believe in yourself, you begin to invest into yourself mm -hmm. and that develops value for your gift. People pay for your gift. Yeah. Not, not, not your personality. They yeah. pay for your gift. Do so do you think that um, the spirit of excellence is that um, character? Is that a skill? Is that a talent? Do you think they're all one? Like, could you describe that? I think because there's a lot of people with talent, right? But never get promoted, and there's a lot of people with a lot of skills and never get a job, or they're undervalued, or you know, there's people with really good character but no skills and talents, and like, what? What would you say about that? Yes, I would say, uh, you know, the goal is to, to cultivate the gift. But if you were to ask me, would you take a gift or character? I would take character every time. Mm -hmm. You can always develop the gift if someone is moldable, mm -hmm. if someone's willing to learn. So, for instance, you know, if we're talking about character, we're talking about humility. We're talking about honor, we're talking about honesty, we're talking about a man of his word, and so on, right? Or a woman. So if you take somebody like that, that you can trust, because I think everyone's looking for trust. Yeah. Um, then then the gift or the task, that's easier. But I can't, I can't develop character in you. I can develop a gift, or I can train you, I can teach you how to, you know, uh, do this process a certain way, but if but if you if you don't have character, yeah, I, I can't I can't make that happen for you. So so yes, I would say we choose character 
above the gift. But, yeah. but then the value ultimately is, is the gift that you bring to the table. Because you can, you can have character, but you're just not wired, let's just say, to do sales. Mm-hmm. And you don't even enjoy it, but you have character. So uh, I think, uh, you know, you, you would, you would, you would put that person where he fits best. And if that's within your company, yeah. you would definitely want to keep that person because the guy has character. Uh, but, but if, if not, then still ultimately, like if, if it's not a win-win, it's not good business. Yeah. So, but yeah, I would say excellence has to do with both. Sure. You do the task well. But then you also do it in the right way. Think about wrong attitude. To me, a negative attitude is destructive to the whole company. You can have one person with a real negative attitude begin to create the wrong smell in the room. If you know what I mean. A bad attitude is is like a bad smell. Mm-hmm. You can have a clean room, you can have everything organized, but if the room stinks, you mm. don't want to be there. Right? Yeah, one one bad egg will ruin all the others. They can be perfect eggs, but if you put you know one bad one bad employee in the room, and there's twelve that are you know trust you or like where they work, if you give it enough time, with that one person they can infect the entire room with how they feel. Yeah. Because people are impressionable. Yes, absolutely. Especially, you know, the time we live in. So I would protect the attitude in the room, the atmosphere in the room. How do you do that? I think you address it and you, you, you value uh, the right atmosphere. So like, Hey, you know, let's just say in my experience, when I notice uh, somebody responding a certain way, it's not about the deal and it's not about the thing that went wrong because that can be fixed quickly. But I'm actually going to invest my time in correcting the attitude. So I'll take that person aside. I'll sit down with them and just say, hey, what's happening? What's going on? And sometimes it could be connected to you as the boss or you as, you know, a manager. And the way you made them feel like, hey, I feel like I'm not being appreciated or I feel like I'm not being treated well or I feel like I'm being undervalued. And then you would talk about that. But you definitely want to protect the atmosphere in the room. So you have to address the attitude. You have to be willing to be confrontational. You have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. And sometimes we fear offending people. So we'll like leave it alone and let mm-hmm. it go on until it becomes toxic. So, so yeah, I think um, an attitude is like a bad smell and nobody wants to be in that kind of room, even if it's clean, even if it's yeah. in order, even if there's a good pay. I, I've seen people leave good pay and take a pay cut to be in a different environment. Yeah. Because they're just happy. Exactly. The stress. Because they're like, Hey, I'm spending nine hours a day in this room and I want to feel good. (laughs) I want (laughs) to feel good being here. I I don't want to be disrespected. I don't want to be in an environment of chaos or simply valued. They want to be valued and they don't feel that. And they'll go somewhere else just because the other person cares a little bit more. Mm-hmm. seems like a nicer person. Um, so what for you, what does it mean to actually be an owner? Um, because I know there's a lot of different definitions to what it means to take ownership of something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you already touched on spirit of excellency, um, but beyond living your life that way, what does it really mean to be an owner like for you? Well, I think it, 
practically it means responsibility uh but also i as a believer i understand that i'm not an owner um i understand that i'm stewarding what god entrusted mm-hmm. to me you know um paul said in scripture he said uh, i've done more than all of you sounds kind of prideful mm-hmm. at first but then he says but not i but the grace of god that has been given to me but then he says something more he says and that grace that was given to me was not in vain so i realize that god has given me and you and those who are listening he has given us a gift he has given us a grace he has given us the gift of life and we can waste it or we can steward it the right way and let it increase so um i i heard this phrase by one leader called Dr. Dr. Miles Monroe he's now with the Lord and he said this he says uh, we die when we finish uh, he said Jesus died at 33 cuz it was finished <laughs> he, he finished what he was yeah. called to do he said cuz the moment you finish your assignment there's no more purpose for you on this earth and he said i don't want to live a long life i want to live a full life And then he said, I don't want to die rich. I want to die empty. In other words, I don't want to keep everything I have. I want to give away everything that was given mm-hmm. to me and die empty. You know the phrase that is said that the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard. So mm-hmm. many untapped dreams and gifts and talents and wow and and and, and all of that which was given to impact and benefit the world that we live in. So, so that's the idea there is I'm a steward of what God has given me and I'm not supposed to, you know, like in the parable of the talents in scripture, Jesus gives this parable and you know, one got 10, one got 5, one got 2, right? And then one got 1, and the guy that got one talent, he just buried it. and said you know what i'm going to save this and i'm going to give the master exactly what he gave me <clears throat> that's selfish mm-hmm. you know to live a life for yourself and so and it seems like hey at least you don't lose anything yeah but then in that parable the other guys they invested what was given to them and gained a return they multiplied it and then the master came back he took from the one that had one and gave to the one that had much and i think there's also a principle there what you're what's been given to you is meant to be wasted on others yeah what's been given to you is meant to be invested yeah and i and i think right off of that um with owners specifically especially perfectionists people that have the spirit of excellency all over them um everything they touch everything they do it's perfect they they go if you tell them go a mile they go two miles to make sure that every facet every aspect of the deal um or the business is tucked tightly 
um, where do you find balance between, you know, believing in yourself, which obviously isn't a problem if you're a perfectionist, you believe in yourself, you're confident in what you can do. But at what point, especially if you're a business person, do you let go and entrust it with other people who aren't perfectionists or the most talented people in the room? Um, wh like, where do you start with that? It's a good, it's a good question. Um, I think you have to begin to see that the, the vision has to be bigger than you. So if your goal is something that you can do by yourself, it's probably the wrong goal. Mm -hmm. So when you get a vision or a goal that's bigger than you, you begin to need people. And you, you begin to need people, not for them to be puppets in your business, but to understand that the only way to accomplish this goal or this vision or this dream is to do it through people. Mm -hmm. So that will require delegating. And when I say delegating, I don't mean delegating a task. Okay. Because I think we all can do that. You know, hey, go clean this room or hey, take this pile of wood and put it over there. Mm -hmm. That's pretty easy. And then you're like, hey, I'm not micromanaging. I'm just letting the guy work. Um, yeah. Yes, but you still, it's, it's still connected to you. If you're not there, nothing's happening. So when I think about delegating I think about delegating authority, delegating power. In other words, someone has the right to make a decision without you. So that involves trust to make decisions. And then you, you, you figure out what level of trust do you want to transfer to somebody on your team to manage a certain area of your business. You know, and that's where character comes in, right? Because they might have a gift, but do you trust them? So, so if we're not going to delegate, we're going to be that one man show operation, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, we're going to, we might run a successful business, but it's going to be limited to us. It's never going to go beyond me. Um, so if you have a big dream, if you want to do big things, I think, you know, we have to challenge that area of our thinking. Are we delegating? Are we entrusting and are we okay with it? Because obviously no one's going to do it as good as you. And maybe it's going to take two people to do what you would do by yourself. So you have to almost like remove the impossible expectation yeah. and be okay with it taking longer and being a little bit worse than what you, how you would do it. But then it has the potential to become better mm -hmm. because then they might do it even a better way, figure out how to increase that. And then, you know, you can enlarge your whole Especially company. when you give them room to grow. Exactly. I think the reason why people don't want to entrust somebody with a task is because first off, they don't know how to incorporate them in their vision of like, of what they want for the business. They don't know how to include other people in their vision. And I think that's just because, you know, it's a little selfish or maybe it's not selfish. Maybe it's just, they haven't thought about it. Like how do you incorporate your employees into the like your grand vision of what you want to do with the business, you know, cause usually when you talk about vision, it's, Oh, we want to get five locations and we want to open up a media branch and we want to, you know, start a school, but where do the employees come in there? Like the people that pretty much you're, you're partnered with in a way, like you are partnered, you're knit together with your employees. Like, 
Um, I think that's where like culture comes in. Like, how do you incorporate now kingdom culture to also give room for your employees to grow and grow with the vision? Because I think that's why it's a hard time to trust is because if your employees don't know your vision and they don't see the opportunity to grow, they'll never grow into the same position that you were at when you were doing that, when, that, when you were doing that task. Because there's like almost like not a mantle or there's like not an expectation or there's not like a specific destination for them. You just say, hey, here's a task, do it. But what happens when I do it? And what happens when I learn it and I get really good? I just get a raise? Like what's after that? Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, I think I'm learning that. I think it's a good point. Um, give people a sense of ownership. How do you let them win with you winning? You know, I remember a long time ago, I had my first uh, kind of like exotic car. It was a lime green Dodge Viper. <laughs> and, really low key. Very, yeah, very modest. Key. Um, and, and, and I bought it. You know, I had a car dealership at that time. And I, I bought it to make a profit. But I ended up joyriding that thing, obviously. And uh, I ended up selling it to a customer. He was very successful in real estate. Owned many uh rental properties and apartment complexes and things like that he flew in all the way from florida to buy this car because he had friends in town so he came to portland he bought this car and he wanted to road trip back to florida <laughs> and visit all his homies you know down down the highway so that was his thing he just always wanted to do that and decided to do that this time and he's like it's great i wanted to buy a dodge viper and I don't have to drive both ways. I'll fly there, buy it, and drive it back. So he had a great plan, so he did that. And I remember meeting with him, ended up being a really cool guy. We hung out for a little bit, and we talked business a little bit, you know, and I was just starting out, I was really young, and he said this phrase to me that impacted, you know, my life in a deep way. And it's crazy, because sometimes we look for like these deep, profound, manuals for success but many times they're right in front of you and they're so simple you just miss it and he said roman every good business deal is a win-win wise words that's all he said and i thought about it and thought about it and the more i thought about it the more i realized how deep simple and true that is he said if it's not a win-win it won't work. It won't have longevity. They say that success in business is not the idea, but the team you build. Uh, ideas can change. Market changes, right? What's profitable to today can be, can be a loss tomorrow. But if you build the right team, with that team, you can almost do anything. With a set of skills and the right management, you can go from a real estate company to a building company, from a building company to a, you know, marketing company. I mean, you, you name it. So, so you, can, you can utilize the same gifts in many different directions. But if you build a team that can collaborate, that can work together, and like you said, that can have a sense of ownership, even in the company. Like I thought, how do these big companies, how, do, how are they able to keep certain people that are probably 
know more than the owner, how, than the boss. How do you keep talent? Yeah. How do you keep them um, past the point where they need you? Because, you know, in the beginning, they need you. But then when they made enough money, they can do it themselves. So, so how do you keep a person to stay when they don't need you anymore? And I thought that's, that's an amazing thing to learn. Uh, because in the beginning, you know, sometimes you, you just need a paycheck. You just need to pay your bills and you're happy to do what you're doing. But what happens when you win with the company long enough to where you don't have to do that anymore? And so that's something I'm thinking about. <laughs> okay. Um, when it comes to... Your vision, has your vision changed since you started business? Has it, is it still the same? Like, are you still running off the same, the same plan, the same motivation, or have you kind of shifted gears? Well, I think I'm not a person that feels like they, you know, I succeeded yet. Like, I don't think I'm in a place to speak from like that level of accomplishment that I believe in. But yes, I think I, I, what changed for me is the purpose of success, mm -hmm. the motive of success. And I realized that the fulfillment in life is not in what you get, but in what you're able to give. And that can be, in the business sphere too, not just, you know, some kind of nonprofit work, but let's just say the families that are able to buy houses because they worked for your company and they were able to pay for a private school for their kids. And, you know, your vision created that for these families. And so the joy of success is not always in how much money you made and your profit and loss sheets at the end of the month. But what you're able to give to the community, to the families, to the people. And I think uh, that's, that's the motivation. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, money is a tool. To me, money is a tool. And I want to see that tool used for a greater purpose than just personal comfort. Because that's easy, right? You, you, you get a house, nice house. Okay, then what? You get a nice car. Well, you, you know, it doesn't matter how many houses you have. You can only sleep in one bed at the same time. Right. Right. So, so at some point that becomes boring. At some point that stops satisfying. And so, uh, I think the fulfillment of life is in giving mm -hmm. and scripture says God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, he expressed the level of love he had in giving because you can't have love and not give. Mm -hmm. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Mm -hmm. So is there like a, in, from what you've studied or what you've looked at, is there a predefined or like a, in the way that the church is set up, is there a way that businesses are set up in the terms of the kingdom? Like, is there, a, is there a kingdom structured business model? Like, is there a business plan from the Bible for, for business owners that they should 
um, apply apply to their own businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think there's principles okay. throughout. You know, one of the books that's commonly used is the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom principles that can be applied to our life uh, that have become keys for success because wisdom is the principal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like kingdom minded business, I think it's the idea of networking. And I think we're really catching that in this generation mm-hmm. where we exchange secrets and tools yeah. and talents, exchange resources. Uh, we, because look, you can do it by yourself and it might take you 60 years to get there, or you can do it together and get there in 10 or get there in five. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a kingdom minded yeah. business. And, um, so I think networking, collaborating, doing it together, the idea of doing yeah. it together, not trying to take every deal for yourself, but exactly. you're going to share it with others. And then the other thing is raising other people up, you know, because that's making disciples. You, you make disciples, uh, you know, of Jesus, right, to follow the Lord, but you can also raise up people to do what you're doing. Help them, you know, father them, teach them impart into them wisdom and keys and things like that so uh i love to see that more i'd love to see that kind of network and that kind of uh coaching taking place uh in our world today Mm. that's good that's good um so for you what's the problem that you're solving if you want to share about it or like what do you see um, for this season in your life, what is the problem that God, you feel like God is leading you to answer, to solve? Because everybody has a problem that they're solving. For some, it's, um, you know, they want to start a, a kingdom-minded adult care home, you know, because there's a lot of abuse in elderly homes. And so they see a need to solve a problem. Or, for example, um, we have a friend and he saw a big problem in the real estate industry where larger companies would trap people in a system and not ever give them the mobility or the freedom to grow because they would get them hooked on a business model that would basically keep them down. Um, and so what do you, what do you, and so he's, he actually separated and went to start a real estate company to, you know, actually empower people. So like, what would be the problem that you want to solve at least for right now in this season? Well, as a minister, Uh, I see the problem of people not stepping into their full potential. Uh, Kind of fitting the norm, you know, Uh, getting that good eight to five and just kind of doing, doing the thing that everybody else is doing and not really stepping into purpose. So as a minister... I want to devote my life to become a platform for people to step into their destiny, to go to the bottom, you know, and allow people to step on you to go higher, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. Uh, to, to serve, to equip, to train, to believe, to encourage, to speak life into people that can become. So for me, that's the greatest passion is, you know, when you're in the room, full of people, you realize 
these are sons and daughters and they have a grace, they have a gift and they're called to change the world. And you feel a sense of responsibility to not limit them, not trap them into some kind of routine, but to give them freedom and to become a platform through your servanthood, through your, you know, encouragement and through, uh, I think the process of renewing our mind, you know, really, I think that's the real problem because every change comes through the renewing of the mind. So, so, you know, it's all of those things that I feel as a minister, I'm committed to and, uh, want to i want to build people i want to see people raised up into their calling into their gift mm -hmm. so that's my passion that's cool